Well, I'm ready to hear an incredible message this morning. This is the last one in our whole series of the Ten Commandments. So please welcome Pastor Chris this morning. Are you clapping because you're excited about the message or because it's the last one? (laughs) Yes, just as I suspected. It's been a long journey. All the way from, I think we started in February. And we did the, uh, the appallingly wrong thing of starting at number 10 and going backwards. I've read, because this was all inspired by a, a book, which if you haven't read, you probably should, called Just 10 by J. John, or Reverend Canon J. John, if you want his full title. Um, And he started from the 10th commandment and worked his way to number one. And if if you've read any of the the comments on either Facebook or Instagram or on his blog, you'll find a lot of people really objected to the fact that he took that approach. There are comments like that he's, um, he's lessened the importance of the 10 commandments by doing it backwards, that the devil does things backwards and therefore he's doing the devil's work. Um... There are all sorts of weird and wonderful ways. Can I just interrupt? Can you make that so it doesn't turn off? Thanks. But I I don't think we've been doing the devil's work here at all. In fact, I think he's a lot more worried than he was in February. Because hopefully, learning about the Ten Commandments hasn't just filled our heads with knowledge, but it's actually filled our life with change. Yes, I can see rampant agreement there, sort of excitement. And last week we discovered that the reason we've finished with commandment number one is that it's actually the commandment that everything hangs on. And in fact, if we don't understand this commandment, the rest of them are impossible. And just to remind you, Exodus 20 verses 2 and 3 says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Very well covered by Brendan this morning. You must not have any other God but me. That's the essence of it. The first commandment is God says, I am God. There is no other God but me. So we have a relationship, you and I. I am your God. End of story. And we used the, this image behind me last week of a, a ripple, uh, a, a pool there, showing that if our understanding of commandment one is correct, there is a flow-on or a ripple effect which enables us to actually fulfill the rest of the commandments. And if once we realise this, we, we discover two things. One, it doesn't actually require an exhausting daily exertion of will to make sure we're sticking to the rules. Because if we don't look at them correctly, that's all they are. They're a list of rules. And they're really quite hard to, to keep all of them. I find them easy. There you go, I've broken one already. <laughs> so it doesn't take much. But also, we don't have to constantly review our lives to make sure we're adhering to God's principles in the right order, to the right degree, and with the correct enthusiasm. Most of us fail on that one. Right, okay. 
In fact, we discovered that it's only by relying on God's grace, God's strength and God's power that the Ten Commandments are even feasible as a lifestyle choice. We cannot do them without God as part of those commandments. It's very easy to leave God out of them. But he gave us that first commandment to ensure that that didn't happen. So even knowing all this, I know, I know what some of you are thinking. Because I, I have that ability. You wonder why I, I, I sound confused sometimes. It's all these th thoughts. No. But I, I, I know people reasonably well. And some of you are, are thinking that that's great. Now I know it's because Jesus has saved me and I am made holy because of his death and his resurrection on the cross that life has a new perspective. Because God has come into my life. He said he's the only God and I'm to worship him and I can do that. And knowing that means that even though I'm fumbling along on life, I can just feel a little less guilty about it. And that's all we get out of it. We carry on our lives the same as we were before. It's just we, just, we feel a little less guilty when we stuff up. Because God's there and his grace protects us. And uh, if, we, if we believe that Jesus has saved us, then we, we, we'll be all right in the end. But from what Chris has told us over the last couple of months, we just don't have to feel as guilty about it anymore. Who's comforted by that thought? Well, you should be. But it's not the only thought. Because there's more to it than that. If we truly understand how important this first commandment is, then it demands a response. A response not from God, but from us towards God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. What that means is that He gets what we deserve, and we get what we don't deserve. Forgiveness, a new start, the promise of eternal life with God forever. That's a sweet deal. We should, we should be excited about that. Thank you. That's what I mean. Now, God did this because he loves us. We can't earn it. For those of us with a Calvinistic work ethic, we can't actually work our way into the kingdom of God. We are not worthy of it. We can't be good people and get into the kingdom of heaven. He's done it of his own free will, whether we deserve it or not. There's only one thing that we can do. We can accept it. That's the only thing required to start on that road from us. It's not the only thing ever required, but it's the first thing required. And that's all we can do. So, a lot of what we, we've talked about over the last months has been about what God has done. But this first commandment hits us between the eyes and hopefully makes us realize that it's not just enough to know what God has done. We actually need to know God. And we actually need to know God more and more each day, more intimately. Who here has been married less than a year? Oh, was that... There's only a couple there in the front row. Who's been married less than 10? Who's been married less than 20? No, I mean, who's, who's been married more than 20? Now, those of us who've been married more than 20 
years, can look at those who have been married less than one, less than ten, and say to those people, there's still more to come. You don't know everything about your partner and you don't know everything about marriage, even though you might think you do. Even if it's been really good up until now, it can be better. It can be worse, but it can be better. <laughs> and, and actually, I promise you, it will get worse. Because there's always ups and downs. If you, if you think that life is always going to be roses, then you're going to get thorns stuck in your fingers. Life isn't about perfection, it's about trust. And that's a whole other message and I'm not going to go off into that. But Marriage is great. It isn't just always just smooth. That's what's great about it. So how, how do we actually get to know God more intimately? Now I wish I could tell you the four secrets to success. But unfortunately they're not secrets. And hopefully you've already been doing them. Because, I don't know, who, who loves films like The Da Vinci Code and, and ideas like the, apart from the fact that it's badly made, I know, sorry. <laughs> it's no good having a director in the front row. <laughs> and, and films which talk about the intrigue of what might have happened in medieval times and secret societies and the Knights Templar and who enjoys that sort of thing? Or was it just me? Because we all lo love a good conspiracy. And the Illuminati and, and you know, the Freemasons and all these secret societies who've had knowledge about the Fountain of Youth and the Philosopher's Stone and, and King Charlemagne's chess set and all these other weird... Nobody's heard of that. You should, that's a great book. Catherine Neville, The Eight, it's called. Read that one. Fabulous book. After the Bible. But all of these... The, the tug and the, and the appeal of these books is the fact that they, they reach out to us this, 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 there is this idea that somehow there is a secret to which none of us are privy which controls our life somehow because we're ignorant of it. And we love to read them because we get you know, this whole idea that the, the Holy Grail was actually Mary Magdalene who was Jesus' wife and all of this sort of thing reeks of conspiracy theory and the idea that you know, we've been fooled for 2,000 years. And because we'd like to think there's more to life. We'd like to think there's, there's, there's a secret we haven't got yet which is suddenly going to change things incredibly. You know, it's like the, the secret to giving up smoking or, or weight loss or, or fitness. You know, I, I love these ads for fitness. On, on t it takes, only takes five minutes. We sort of think, phew, that's the secret. What they don't tell you is you've got to sweat like crazy for that five minutes. It is hard work and really uncomfortable. And most of us don't even want that for five minutes. And there's, there's no secret to fitness. It actually just takes hard work. But they would tell you. It's the same with nutrition. I mean, people would tell you that it's Nutriblasts that are going to save your life because you're not getting all the nutrition out of the food you eat. Looking at most of us, we get way too much nutrition out of the food we eat. <laughs> Don't get a Nutribullet. Eat less. 
is no secret. If you want to build muscle, you've got to lift weights. That can be depressing if you go with some of the younger people in this church because it doesn't seem to matter how much you lift, they always can lift more weights than you can. But it's not about comparison. And I'm not competitive at all. And I will catch them if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> and at this rate, it probably will be. Anyway, so I'm not here to tell you that the, the secrets of getting close to God and forming an, a relationship which becomes more and more intimate as time goes on. You actually know those secrets, and they're not secrets. The question I have for you is are you doing them at all? Because sometimes I think we need a, a refresher and a reminder. A, to let us know that there are no secrets, so stop looking for them. And B, that we already know what to do, so let's get on with it. There are four areas. Well, the first thing we've got to do, and, uh, and this, this works in, in marriage as well. If you want a good marriage, guess what? You have to spend time together. Yep, sorry. You, you actually, uh, it pays to like the person you're married to. Uh, it's okay to love them, but you really do need to like them. I mean, meeting in the bedroom is not enough. You need to actually be together at other times as well. I know that's good for children and all the rest, but we need to be together. And it's the same with God. If you want an intimate relationship with God, you've actually got to spend time with God. You know, that's, that's why we come to church. It's not just for sociable Christians. The Bible is full of references to the fact that to, to get a, a relationship with God, we actually need to come together and do the first thing, which is praise God. So there are four areas. We need to divide our time with God up into four areas. And how you divide them up is up to you. But it needs to contain at least these four elements. The first one is praise. Giving time to praising God as a response to all he's done for you. One of the biggest antidotes to our current problem in the world is to praise God. What's our current biggest problem, do you think? Well, there's obviously lots of them, but the one I'm talking about is obsession with self. We are an incredibly self-centered culture, and you know, our first question is, what's in it for me? Will I enjoy this? Will I make money out of this? You know, will I gain satisfaction? Is this what I, what, what I want to do? Does this fit into my schedule? Especially with church. Church has just become another thing that people fit into their schedule. It needs to be part of that ripple effect. Coming to church is the central thing. Everything else in your life spreads out from that. But no, it's just another date in the calendar. So, Psalm 100. I'm going to read the whole psalm. It's not a big one. And here we get really simple instructions. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. 
And that just in itself gives us reason to praise God. We need to be turning to God, putting Him at the center of our lives. And then when we do that, guess what? The focus comes off us and moves on to Him. We worship Him and thank Him for all He has done in our lives and all He's going to do by focusing on Him. So we need to praise. Who's into that? Yes. Right, good. The second thing, and this is, this, is, this is tough stuff. This is tough love. This Read the Bible. Yep. Reading God's Word and hearing or listening or seeing what He says to us, guess what prevents us from listening to us all the time? Or other people and advice. Who knows that the world is full of advice? Who knows that the world is full of rubbish Jesus himself said in Matthew 4 4 and he quoted Deuteronomy he said it takes more than bread to stay alive it takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth that's from the message translation we need to every day immerse ourselves in the word of God how long you immerse yourself what you immerse yourself in is up to you but we need to do it. Um, the U version, electronic version of the Bible, has um, devotions which go for days, weeks, months. Is there a year? I think there's probably a yearly one as well. That they remind it reminds you on your phone or your tablet um, every morning to, that you should do it. That we've got no excuse today because we've got more access to the Bible than ever before. I mean, it used to be that if you wanted to understand the Bible, you had to go and buy a concordance or a, um, what's the other one? Um, a book, yes, thank you. Um, a commentary, a commentary, that's the word I was after. Um, and they were books, yes. Um, and I, I did that once. They are incredibly expensive. Now, you can type the, your query into Google, it comes up instantly and doesn't cost you anything. You can find out more about the Bible now than ever before. You can understand it better. It's easier to read. It's on everything you carry around in you. You can't even escape it. So why aren't we reading it? We need to take advantage of this new technology. We need to take advantage of the fact that we have this availability and use it. There was a very godly man called John Henry Newman who once said, I check Facebook to know what people are doing and I read the Bible to know what people ought to be doing. Actually, Facebook didn't exist when he was around, but I didn't think you'd understand when he said, I read newspapers. <laughs> Does anybody still read the newspaper? Oh, there are people who read the newspaper. Good. Yeah, only when someone shares an article on Facebook. Right. That's a worry. The third thing we need to be doing in our relationship with God is confession. I think as modern Christians, we get confused with this idea of God's grace. And the fact that we live under grace means that God forgives our sins. That we can actually do the wrong thing and God forgives what we've done because He's a gracious God because Jesus died and took the, the penalty for our sin it doesn't mean we don't sin. And it doesn't mean that God automatically forgives it. It says if we repent, 
he will forgive our sins. So we have to confess our sins. We actually have to admit that we've done the wrong thing. Ooh. Well, we can't do that. Look what happens to people who admit they've done the wrong thing. Politicians. If they admit they've done the wrong thing, they're out of office. Bureaucrats. Anybody who's got a high, high profile in life, if they admit they've done the wrong thing, the consequences can be dire. So we get this idea that we should, we should keep our sins to ourselves. But the kingdom of God doesn't work like that. God says, if you repent, I will forgive your sins. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And, and by sin, I, I don't mean that it's a question of you wait till you've you've gone and beaten someone up or murdered them or done something really terrible. It's just the fact that we fall short of what God expects to us of, of us every day. We might not have tried our best. We might have lied to somebody. We may have wriggled out of something using questionable means. We need to admit that to ourselves as much as anything and then admit it to God. And the great thing is God forgives us. But repentance isn't just telling God and thinking, whew, glad I got that off my chest. Repentance is actually a change of direction. These days, I think we take a, a very easy view of repentance. As long as somebody says they're sorry, we're satisfied. We actually need to understand that depending on the, the nature of our sin, in terms of our human existence we still have to pay for that if you murdered somebody and you repented God will forgive you but you still need to front up to a police station and admit the fact that you murdered somebody and take the consequences of those actions which could involve life imprisonment because if you don't I don't think you've truly repented and that's hard you know, it's great for God to forgive us but the judicial system won't but we need to take on board that our actions have consequences and that we are actually responsible for those consequences. Good time to start up a prison ministry. Let's hope most of us don't get that far. And the fourth thing, of course, is prayer. It's bringing our needs and concerns to Jesus and asking him to establish his ways in our world helps us take our hands off the things that we're tempted to hold on to and give them to God. Philippians 4.6 says, Don't worry about anything. Hands up if you don't think you could actually ever adhere to that. Don't worry about anything. I mean, because a lot of our life is taken up with... We wouldn't have anything to do, some of us, if we didn't worry about stuff. I mean, I reckon that we could generate a humongous amount of electricity if we used all the energy put into worrying into, into a power plant. Imagine the worry station. People could just plug in and generate free electricity. It says, instead, pray about everything. What do we pray about? Everything. What was that? Everything. Right. Tell God what you need Thank him for all he has done. Notice it doesn't say tell God all you need and thank him when he provides it. 
It says, tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, prayer is important. A wise pastor said the other day, you can tell how popular church is by the number of people who turn up to the service. You can tell how popular a visiting minister or speaker is by how many people turn up to the event that you hold. You can tell how popular Jesus is by how many people turn up to your prayer meeting. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> I'm not sure what happened there, but I'll take it. That, perhaps, was that a bit cruel? Was that a bit cutting, a bit mean, that one? But it's true. You can tell how popular Jesus is by how many turn up to the prayer meeting. How popular is Jesus in your life? See, these four, praise, reading the Bible, saying you're sorry, and praying for ourselves and others, have been the main elements of Christian faith for 2,000 years. They're not secret. And I, I want to challenge us this morning, because we've had a year of talking about the Ten Commandments. I've talked about them. Mason's talked about them. Brendan's talked about them. Loretta's talked about them. We've talked about them in connect groups. But I want you to ask yourself, have you changed because of what you've learned? Has there been an impartation as well as information? Because I, I, I want us to take a, a step this morning. I, wanna, I want us all to pray a prayer a sort of radical prayer. One that if you don't mean it, it's going to make you feel very uncomfortable. It's a prayer of commitment to God. It's a prayer actually saying out loud how much you trust God. And it's a prayer that dedicates your life to God. Can I, can I get you to stand for this? Now, the trouble is you don't know what I'm going to pray. So you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. What if I get to the end and think, no, I'm being a hypocrite? In that case, repent and tell God you're sorry. You didn't mean any of it. Ain't it? I get a lot of people saying to me that they don't, they don't want to come to church because they've discovered that church is full of hypocrites. My answer is always, what, a better, what better place for a hypocrite to be than in church? Because all a hypocrite is, is somebody who doesn't do what he says. That sounds to me like the average sin. You basically fall short of what's promised. And therefore, if we're going to learn not to be hypocrites, being in a place where we praise God, worship God, where we read the Bible, where we confess our sins and we pray, seems to be the best place to be if we're ever going to get over our hypocrisy. Never be ashamed of being a hypocrite. Just being ashamed of never admitting it. Because if we are, 
we can turn to God and say, I'm sorry. I stuffed up. I did the wrong thing. I'm going to try and do better next time. I'm working my way to a better place, but I need your help. So I want you to pray this prayer after me. Holy God, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Put me beside whoever you will. I will gladly accept suffering in your name. Let me be put to work by you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and gladly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. And this covenant which I have made on earth, let it be accepted in heaven. Amen. Now see, that's a fairly challenging prayer to pray. I could feel some of you gulped when it got to the, I shall accept sacrifice gladly, that I will work in your name or I will do nothing in your name. Because one th things we don't like are pain and the fact that we get all of our self-worth out of doing something. The fact that God would ask us to do nothing is scary. But if we can truly get those things on board, if we truly mean that prayer, then our life will change. God can do amazing things. Have your seats. If we trust God's promises if we give ourselves to obeying his commands we have to rely on his endless forgiveness his endless grace and his endless strength Deuteronomy 30.15 says now listen now listen now listen why do you think he put that there people weren't listening now listen Today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. Notice it doesn't say learn his commands, decrees and regulations by learning the rules. It says by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. This is a promise that has echoed throughout the ages. God gives us choices. I love what Brendan said in his communion message about the fact that God asks if we will let him be our new master. See, a lot of us don't like that idea. 
If we are freed from slavery, we think freedom from slavery is to have no master. Because that's, you know, as Brendan said, most of the time in Australia we don't have slavery. I suspect that's not 100% true, unfortunately. But we struggle to wrap our heads around the fact that Jesus said, I want to be your new master, but I give you the choice to accept that or not. And when we accept the choice to have Jesus as our master, he says, not slave, but son and daughter, I will make you. See, he actually exalts us, but we have to humble ourselves before he will exalt us. We have to accept the fact that God is our master before he says, you are my son, you are my daughter. And this is where we stumble. Because we're proud. Nobody's my master. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Because I know everything. Really? I used to think that I knew everything. Then I hit about 20. Realised my parents weren't as stupid as I thought they were. And that they actually knew more than me. That was a crushing blow. To realise that the older generation actually had something to give and might know more than I did. I still struggle with it. But it's our humility that enables us to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I just want to give an invitation that if you haven't made that choice to say, look, I'd love to be a son or a daughter of God, but Master, I'm not sure I can I can do that. It's actually an invitation to be part of a family. We'd like to think we'd walk into a family as the most important person. But God says, no, you've actually got to walk into my family and proclaim yourself nothing. And I will elevate you to being the most important person. It's a question of trust. And all he requires of us is the acceptance of his offer to be our Lord, to acknowledge him as our Saviour. And in this church, we do that by just praying a prayer which says, Lord, I reject my old life. I accept you as my Lord and Saviour. I want to be your son or your daughter in your kingdom. And I want to follow your ways. And that's it. That opens the door for us to start walking the rest of our life with Jesus. Can I ask everyone to close their eyes, please? Just bow your heads. If you're here this morning and you want to pray that prayer, you want to become a member of God's family, you're willing to humble yourself and say okay I I will accept that invitation because I want to put my life in God's hands while nobody's looking around if you want to pray that prayer I want to ask you right now just to pop your hand up so that I can see it I'll acknowledge that hand and we can pray that prayer together to start you on a journey with Jesus Christ in your life is there anyone here this morning who wants to do that 
Okay, open your eyes. Can I get um, Simon, Chris, Ada, Elon? Can you guys come out here? I'm not going to do anything cruel to you. It's all right. I was just praying yesterday. And for some reason, your names all popped into my head. And I asked God, why is that? And I was half expecting him to say, because they are naughty people. And I want you to tell them off. Because I know that Simon's naughty. Not sure about Ada. Elon, yes. Chris, definitely. But I believe that that God wants to do something in your hearts because he sees hearts that are open for new things, open for change, open for challenge. But he doesn't want you to be hurt by that openness see Simon I see God sees a heart for people he sees a heart for people to be filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ but he sees a fear in you that you are not up to the task that you may not be able to do what God has asked you to do God says he will be with you to do everything he will never leave you never forsake you. You do not have to rely on your strength because God will bring his strength along with you. If you open your heart to people, if you are vulnerable, do you know um, know the word vulnerable? If you are um, if if you open your heart and people have the chance to stab you, not physically, then God says he will protect you. You are wearing his armor. And people, whatever people say, you are protected by God. He says, take, take courage. Keep speaking to people. You have a heart that shows people the real God. Keep doing it. Ada, you have the same heart as Simon. But sometimes you are afraid you're not good enough. You think, God is big, I am small, why would God use me? And God says, because your heart is big. Because you are willing to do what he asks you to do. God says he will lift up the humble, the small, the afraid, and he will give them glory. And I believe that's what he's going to do for you. He is going to give you the ability, the the, the strength in your heart to reach out to people. He says, do not be afraid. You are worthy in my eyes, in God's eyes. You are big in heaven. Do not be afraid. Trust in God. He will bring glory and blessing into your life. Elon, you've got a big heart. But you too, you're afraid of being hurt. And God says, in your case, the pain is what makes you stronger. The pain is what, it's your roadblock in life. And he says, you are called to actually overcome it. Not for your sake because you are going to meet people in the future who are going to go through that exact same thing and you are going to be able to say, I've been through that. 
I know how you feel and I know how to get you through. It's that thing we prayed, you know, I'm prepared to sacrifice in your name. That's actually for you. Because God says you have and you will continue to sacrifice. People won't see it. People will only see the smiling face. But God sees what's underneath and he says, I'm using that. That is going to become your rock. That is going to become a place of strength. You're going to look back and you're going to say, I am so glad that I went through that. Because it has made me a person with the ability to change lives far more than I ever thought possible. So rest in that. It's all good. Young man. I see you leading people. Not in your strength, but in God's. But I see your confidence increasing. I see that your understanding about what God wants to do with you is going to grow. and You're going to get excited about that. In fact, so excited it's going to bubble over. You're going to be an excitable person. You're going to be hugging everybody. I see you hugging everybody. I see you bringing people, changing people's lives because of your excitement about what God is doing. I see it coming into your family. I see it blessing your family. I see great things. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you fill these people right now. In Jesus' name, fill them with strength, with courage, with passion and compassion. Give them strength in Jesus' name. Amen.